Oh, also, you can say all the bad words that you would want to say, and we will either cut them out or bleep them out as I see fit in post-production. Okay. Good to know. Amanda said, can I not say shit? He bleeped out shit. (laughs) Sometimes it's more fun to bleep it out. Welcome to the Barely Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts. I'm Caleb. I love Sharpie pins. And I'm Eric. Matt very rarely actually just says his name for that part. It's true. It actually throws Caleb when I do that. It, it does. It's usually more shocking. Eric, it's so good to see you again. I feel like I haven't seen you since last year. Since last year, we were on the uh, school and sabbatical together. That's right. Good times. Good times. Trying to get off the feed. We read a book. We did. It's um, right there. Can't see it on my feed, but it's up there. I actually just gave that book away to someone at oh, work you? like two weeks ago. It was on my shelf the whole time. But now I'm totally forgetting the name. I was going to say Power. Presence. 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 Yep. Great TED Talk, too. Yes. Caleb, you should read it at some point. What book? Presence. Presence. Okay. By Amy Cuddy. Cuddy, yep. Ooh, Cuddy. it's one of those where I, it was like on my head and I thought that I knew it, but I had yeah. to look anyways. It's all right. Between two brains, we got the name of the book and the author. That was pretty good. Man. <laughs> You're so it. smart. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, Matt had it sitting behind him and could look at it and couldn't remember the name of the, well, of the author. You know, when, I'm reading spine, books, when I'm reading books about SQL, you know, there's a lot going on in Matt's brain. That's right. I mean, that's fine. I'm just saying. I gotta know how to cite. Hold on, let's see. He could have cheated. I did cheat eventually. Um, I gotta know how to cite the f- first prayer of the Apostle Paul. Mm. Or Polycarp to the Philippians. These are not hard, Matt. All you have to do is pull out your SBL handbook and look it up. Oh. I don't have a hard copy of the SBL handbook of style. I'm not as cool as you. You have it on the, uh, on the old Kindle? Yep, I have the Kindle version. Which honestly is more convenient because if I'm working on a paper, just copy and paste it. I'm often not sitting at my desk or where my library is. I wonder if I could set it up. This is going to get real nerdy real fast. I wonder if I can set up Zotero to provide that as the uh, the shortened name of the book. I don't know. I don't know either. I usually just use Zotero and then I go in and change the things that messes up for SBL. This is my first class that I have to actually have the SBL handbook. So I've I've taken two classes so far, and just general Arabian has been good enough. But uh, this one this one is not the same. All right, so uh, we have Eric on with us today, and we'll talk about like who he is and all of those things. I've never actually talked with Eric, which is crazy because we were like geographically close at one point. Yep. Yeah, that's true. You were living in Allentown. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. What years were you there, Caleb? That might help. Uh, I was in Allentown from 2017 to 2020. Okay. Okay. So we actually totally miss each other because my family moved to New York in 2014. Oh, okay. So we did. We missed each other entirely. 2014? Yeah, we're eight years in, man. I didn't go to PA till 2015. So we did entirely miss each other. I guess what's funny is I thought for some reason that you guys... You guys were there for two years before you launched? Two and a half years till we launched. Yeah, 2014, we launched in, in 2018. No, no, 2017, we launched. So three and a half years living in the community before our church ever had a service. Wow. 
So my uh, almost four-year-old daughter is really into Spider-Man and has been since she was like one. And I'm like, never been into superheroes. So I'm like learning everything there is to learn about superheroes. And I was very tempted to take her to Comic-Con in Brooklyn about a month ago. And someone told me she's a little young for what might happen at Comic-Con. It's like, what happens there? I think, well, just dressed up and it was, you know, booths and shows. And she's like, just, just, just give her a few more years. So Caleb, Matt, would you bring a four-year-old to Comic-Con? I think that a four-year-old is probably fine because they're not going to remember much of it except for the fun stuff. Right. I think like that six to eight age range, probably this is where I would stop. Got it. Depending on maturity after that. Right. Um before, like, what's she going to remember? She's exactly. just going to remember seeing the superheroes, man. Right. Like, there's, there's lots of people in superhero costumes, which is always cool. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. Four-year-old probably would have been fine. Living the life. Living the life, for sure. Maybe I should have taken her. So, maybe next year I can while her memory is still being formed. <laughs> Dress her up. There's, like, all of the sexualization of, like, superhero costumes that, like can be kind of weird but like she's not at an age where that's going to be an issue well yeah for sure she doesn't know what that stuff is so right it's like okay whatever all right i'll do it next year comic-con with my five-year-old hard to believe like if i had the ability to go to comic-con in brooklyn i would go i'm not even a big superhero person yeah but i i would go just for the experience can they call it comic-con i thought they had to name it somewhere and nothing else no they probably had some like leg name for it because i think comic-con's probably trademarked by yeah the big dogs it wasn't until like three or four years ago in humble okay listen i need first off i'm gonna help all of you okay the name of this town is humble the H is silent. Spelled H-U-M-B-L-E. Correct. The name of this town is Humble. Is it in Harris County? Uh, no, it's in Harris County next to Houston, but the name of the town is Humble. Okay. Wow, that is a huge animal I'm walking down the sidewalk there. It's fat. Yeah, that thing is... The headline is, Woman taken to hospital after being greeted by eight-foot alligator. At humble home, greeted. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> greeted, like it was like a, uh, you know, a Girl Scout cookie salesperson, <laughs> an old family friend, <laughs> just within the neighborhood, wanted to swing by in humble Texas. Well, I mean, just you know, sitting on a front porch. All right, and it says that he was hissing. I didn't know the alligators hissed. Oh man, they're. Oh, yeah. You know, if they're hissing. That means they're mad or they're defensive or what? They're defensive. I've got it. That's like, it's like a skunk dancing. Right. If you see a skunk dancing, you know. You're ready to be sprayed, yeah. (laughs) The next line of defense. Yeah, so I I think it is interesting because, like, it's not like the alligator bit her. The alligator hit her with her tail and she fell over. And that was the thing that caused the injury, which caused her to go to the hospital. Yeah, well, that's a big tail. I mean, I can imagine with her. I love the picture of the four officers and the ones wearing a cowboy hat. I never got the cowboy hat thing, but then again, I never lived in Texas, the largest in America. Matt, does that seem like an authentic thing? You have four police officers, one of them wears a cowboy hat. Is it a trooper? Uh, I can't really tell by the uniforms. Yeah, I can. What what time? What's our time stamp here? Well, according to this, it says Texas Parks and Wildlife are on scene. I'm trying to look at the uh, the patch on his arm. I can't really tell. You can't really get it to zoom in good enough to see much. 
had to open it on the Facebooks. Yep, same. It's a constable. That's weird. Also, I, the four of them standing there like that <laughs> looks ridiculous. It looks so. I know people are this is a podcast. People can't see, but it looks like the one guy's like kind of grabbing his crotch. The one guy's like, you know, wearing a cowboy hat. The other guy's got his. I don't know. Just look like they look like a, a boy band, like a budget boy band. Yes, with the alligator tied up below them, like they've just conquered. <laughs> They I don't even. It's, they, they've they've got it. They've done everything. They've done their job, and they can be proud. Like, oh yeah, look at me! I took down an alligator. <laughs> right, but like all of them are like just as big as the alligator. So, it, like, yeah, it'd be impressive if it, was, if it was one dude and the alligator. Then you can flex. Right, or like at least if they were like posing in a way that like made it clear that they had conquered the alligator. But like, it's just a tied up alligator with the four of them standing like five feet behind it. Like, at least one of them put, like, the foot on its nose or something, so it looks like you've conquered it. Exactly. I need to hear this guy talk. Oh, it's got an ad. I don't want to do that. Because, what did he say? When she first hollered, <laughs> hollered is in the story. All right, that happened. <laughs> when she first hollered, I thought someone was behind, I thought somebody was behind the brick wall there. Like, you can just hear the tech. I'm not even doing the accent. No. And you can hear it, right? When she first hollered, I thought somebody was behind the brick wall there. Like, ending a sentence in there in and of itself. Okay. So I come running up, and it was an alligator. And he made a loud roar. And I picked her up and drug her here back to the truck. And I called the police and game warden. And just the... So I come running up. I come running up. It sounds like a, it sounds like a really good song. <laughs> I mean, so I come running up. That that actually that that does. When she first hollered, I thought somebody behind the brick wall there. Yeah. So I come running up, and it's an alligator and made a large roar. That's probably how I said it too. I wonder if he's Cajun though. See, I, don't know. I might got it wrong. Oh yeah, my, yeah. There you go. That was a very good uh, Texan woman voice though. Person from humble. I'm impressed, Matt. Humble. You you have to remember that Matt is originally from Texas. That's right. And later learned how to drop his southern accent. Okay. Is that true? You had a southern accent when you were a, a wee lad? I th- I mean, I don't ever remember having one, but doubtless I did. And if I get amongst family, it... It comes out. Yeah. You know how it works. Yep. Well, I mean, I'm from Pennsylvania, and like Pennsylvania is in the north, northeast, kind of. Pennsylvania. But Pennsylvania is what they call the middle of the state. So you have Philadelphia to the east, Pittsburgh to the west, and the middle is pretty much Alabama. And I have aunts and, and great aunts and great uncles. I mean, you would think they have a southern draw, um, but they're born and raised in that town of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Culture is funny. I, I'm not ready for the eight foot alley. This is why I moved north. Yeah, that's that, that thing is scary looking, man. I mean, it's not a very big alligator. Eight foot's pretty big. I would definitely not want to deal with that by myself. No. And the biggest alligator I've ever seen is about a 10 foot. If zoo alligators count, I've seen bigger than that, but... It would count. I actually saw mine not at the zoo. I was at a, a boardwalk in South Texas, and uh, he was just over the edge, which was a little terrifying. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest alligator I've seen in the wild is like a six foot gator that like I was relatively close to. So, Caleb, you mentioned last week uh, cutting the head off the copperhead and all that stuff. See, we don't have those up here. I didn't actually cut the head off the copperhead. I just stomped on it. Well, you know what I mean? You killed it. 
So up here, I don't have to worry about that. And praise Jesus. Yeah, that is true. No poisonous snakes. No poisonous bugs, except for bees. Nope. They're not even poisonous, they're venomous. If it injects its poison, it's venom. Yeah, it's venom. If you eat it, it's poison. Correct. So, like, if you've got a poison dart frog, don't eat it. Also, not that anybody cares, but poison dart frogs only get their poison from the things they eat. Yes. So, if you don't feed them those things, they're not poisonous. So, all the poison dart frogs at your local zoo, not poisonous. They're fine. You can pet them. Man. I want my money back. You could pet them. See, this is the problem. They've been keeping them away from you with this scheme, and you could have been petting them the whole dang time. <laughs> the issue, Matt, is that frogs have a way of getting away from you if you try to pet them. Like, they'll jump away, and then they'll lose them. And so that's that's the real reason why those gates are up. All right. It's not to keep you from petting them. It's to keep them from getting away. That's why the things that you can pet are the things in the touch tank that swim because you can't let those get away. They, they don't have a way of escape. Well, Eric, dearly beloved, we've come together Here we to are. talk about getting people jobs. Yes. Well, even more specifically, getting pastors jobs. Yes. Yeah. So if you're not a pastor, you can skip to the timestamp that Caleb's going to provide here. That's a, that's a joke. But um, so when did you come up with this idea? Yeah. Let me take a step backwards. Okay. Came up with this idea by accident. So I planted a church in the South Bronx, the poorest congressional district in America, while living in New York City, the most expensive city in America. And I had this brilliant idea. Hey, you know what? I'm going to do this whole bivo thing, bivocational, have a job, plus leave the church until the ties and offerings can cover my salary. That was my brilliant idea. Good luck. Yeah, that was in 2017. It'll take it'll take no time. Yeah, a year max, right? Yeah, <laughs> I've got this. I got this. Come on, I'm a great. I'm a, I, I can do this. And uh, people can hear me speak, and they will flock. They will flock, and they will empty their pocketbooks to hear what I have to say to them. That's right. Five years later, and one pandemic later, um, I'm still working, and I'm still co-vocational. And to put a little, you know whipped cream on top of the ice cream there's four what i would call church plants churches that are sub 10 years old kind of in my immediate vicinity and uh all four of them closed during the pandemic and i was the only one that stayed open and i don't think it's because of my incredible leadership gifts or preaching i think it was because i was co-vocational slash bivocational and i wasn't relying on the giving of the folks to sustain my salary so that's the backstory, and I'm sure both of you are aware of this this buzz phrase going around, the great resignation, mm-hmm. which is 2020 and 2021 has caused a lot of folks to think through their careers. What am I doing professionally? Do I want to make a change? People are quitting jobs left and right. Companies are struggling to hire. And I think pastors, actually no pastors are not exempt from that. They're also questioning their own career decisions. Do I want to continue to stay in full-time ministry? Do I want to do a part-time vocational ministry and have a a part-time or full-time job? To make a long story short, to answer your question, Matt, I was on vacation in Florida, didn't see a a crocodile or an alligator, sadly, and had this idea, you know what? Like I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I have a degree from Liberty and Youth Ministry. I have a master's from Alliance Theological Seminary, and I somehow, in 2017, broke into the corporate world and am able to supplement my income and build a ministry of sustainability, even through a pandemic. 
I wonder if I can help other pastors do the same thing. So I kid you guys not, one afternoon, my kids were watching Frozen, and I wrote a 20-page And you let it go? I let it go. And I wrote a 20-page PDF. Here's how I did it, A to Z. I made a $16 Google Sites website, and I posted on Facebook. If anybody wants my PDF, give me your email, and I'll send you the PDF. And I suppose it struck a nerve with some people because – um, by the time of this recording, which is like a month and a half later, about 250 folks have shown interest in that PDF and want to learn more about how to break into the marketplace, kind of remessage their skills. And one big area that was an impetus of this all is I reached out to three different, I don't know what to call them, co-vocational influencers <laughs> in different networks and denominations. And I said, hey, listen, if I were in your network or denomination and I told you about my background and I said to you, I want to get a job, what resources do you have for me about, you know, rewriting a resume or creating a LinkedIn or networking or interviewing or negotiating? And I kid you two not, I had two uh, or I had three rather blank stares saying basically nothing. We don't have anything like that. We just tell people to go get jobs and they make them figure it out. So I realized there's a huge need there and I'm just little by little trying to meet that need with as many uh, pastors and leaders that I can. So, I mean, I live in a similar world to you. Um, Uh I work and do church stuff on the side. I work so I can support my church habit. Um, I think the thing that is perplexing, like you mentioned, is or maybe you haven't yet, but the the language barrier is huge, right? Totally. People in the corporate world don't understand what we're doing. No. And vice versa. So it's hard for pastors to to get the things that they've actually done and word it into a way that it hits those key phrases in the the corporate world. Um, what what are some things, just some basics that pastors should be thinking about? And obviously, we want them to go to you to get more information. But what are some like key baseline things they can be thinking about? Absolutely. Um, the first thing is is like a mindset shift, and this is get kind of like meta, and then get very practical. So I think a lot of pastors have this idea like, oh, I don't have applicable skills for the real world, which is, in my opinion, bogus. I mean, if you can lead a church, lead a youth ministry, lead a worship team, lead a children's program. Those are pretty easily transferable skills to the corporate environment. But what you said, Matt, the pain point is how do you message that, right? So suppose you you are applying for a job and the top skill that they want you to have is communication. Does that mean on your resume you should write, I preach to 48, 48 Sundays a year to, to 200 people? Probably not <laughs> because someone's going to look at that and they're gonna say, what in the world does that mean, Right. What you could do, and this is called a power statement, I talk about this in the PDF, is essentially communicate your your skills in a way that would translate um, to the person reading the resume. So instead of saying, I preached 48 Sundays a year to 200 people, you would say, I communicated seminars and workshops to larger small groups three times a week, resulting in retention and growth within the organization. Now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that that kind of makes sense now, what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Now, you weren't saying I was preaching, but that's what you were doing. I wasn't leading a Bible study. I was communicating. And immediately, the ears are kind of peaked to the person to say, okay, this person is good at talking to people. Second part of that, that, that answer, Matt, is most companies, larger companies, I'm not talking about, you know, 
the hardware store with you know two employees but larger companies they use what's called the applicant tracking system ats for short mm-hmm. so there are keywords that are within the job description that you need to embed into your resume to even get seen by human so i'll give, give a perfect example i applied for a job at twitter about a year ago and within an hour i got rejected do you think that's because you know jack dorsey slash elon musk looked at my resume and said no it's got to be it. It's, it's the best. The best answer for this problem. Exactly. Exactly. They looked at it, it, a machine, read it. They said don't have the qualifications, and really got rejected. And that's happened to all of us. And that's because we have never been trained. How do you build a resume that is going to get past ATS and actually have a human being read it? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's a little teaser for folks who want to learn more. But those are two examples. You know, rephrasing your skills in a power statement using language the corporate world understands and embedding keywords in your resume so you can bypass ATS and actually get seen by a human. But third thing, sorry, I'm gonna keep talking. You're good. Is throwing your resume into the abyss of job applications is also not the best way to find a job. The best way to find a job is through referrals, right? So Caleb told me where he works. So if I wanna get a job where Caleb works, I'm gonna call Caleb and Caleb will put me through the system and now really bypass quite a few steps. And much yeah. more likely to get an interview and get the job. A lot of pastors don't know that either. They just assume they're going to go on to, you know, Google and see a job. Oh, I'm going to apply to that. And that they're going to get a call back. Could happen. Highly unlikely. <laughs> much more likely is getting a referral. The meritocracy dream exists. But the truth is, it's all about who you know. I mean, that's just. 100%. And it's what's frustrating about it in general is that pastors know this. Yep. Right. That's how we operate. That's it, right. How we, you know, talk to each other. It's mm-hmm. who you know. It's it's all those things, and we know it. That's how it works. But for some reason, I mean, it was hard for me to get that understanding in the business world. So it, it doesn't matter. Well, it it some things matter, but um, the who you know is really important. Critical. Hundred percent. Also, who knows you is also a thing. <laughs> yes, that's right. Jesus, Jesus knows me. That's right. Paul told me so. Like when I was looking for church jobs, the fact that people knew who I was was also a limiting factor. <laughs> because I've been kind of outspoken in some areas. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to I'm going to give you my my personal question that you can answer on the podcast. Please. Here's the problem that I'm running into. Okay. I work for an undisclosed company. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any experience in the industry. Like none. Well, except that you've been working there for well, right, been with with them for a little while. So every time I come up for like, there's a a job opening internally. I'm like, yeah, I'll apply for that, and then I get done, and they're like, you know, we really loved you. You just don't have enough experience. Mm. What can I do? Get experience. Yeah, well, I guess the first question I'd ask is, how long have you worked for said undisclosed organization? I think it's two and a half years. Two and a half years. Oh, you've been there a good while, then. And you ever been promoted? Nope. No, you have not. Okay. And are you ever given opportunities to do like stretch projects or other things like get, get exposure or not really? There's been one thing, um, but it it's like an internal education program. Okay. And I don't have the bandwidth to do that right now. Gotcha. So you were like providing opportunity, but it just wasn't really realistic for you. Okay. That makes sense. So you have these interviews for roles. They love you, but they say you don't have enough experience to 
take the job. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Gotcha. And have you asked them, what do I need to do to get that experience? Uh, no. I mean, I know the answer. It To a certain extent, it is to internally be on those projects. And for, for job purposes, it's be the apprentice to a project mm-hmm. and then lead a project. Got it. And and by doing that, then you get that experience. Gotcha. But you said the project that you had the opportunity to be on, you just were like, I don't have the bandwidth to do that right now. I do not. Because it wasn't, it's like a, it wasn't a project. It was like an educational, like you can learn how to do these things kind of. Gotcha. It was like a learning path sort of deal for you. Yeah. Gotcha. It was, yeah, it wasn't like a do this for two weeks and then you're done. It was like a long-term commitment. Yeah. Like 10, 10 months. Oh shoot! Very long term. Dang, <laughs> it's like I don't know. When, I don't know. I'm going to work here in ten months. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, now now you're really invested, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Man, that's. It sounds like you're in a. Sounds like you're in an interesting spot. Is there is there room for growth in the organization, or do you kind of feel like? You're stuck. That's a great question. I do think that there's room for the growth in the organization, specifically in the area I work in. It is a it is a constantly growing uh, industry. We're, I, if I remember correctly, we're like eight out of the top ten in America. Oh sure. Um, and so and can and continually growing in that area. So it's one of those places where yeah, I mean I'm certain that there's something. Um, it's just coming up against those those boundaries. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And part of me wonders if I'm not selling myself well enough in some of those places, right? Yeah. Like the experience leading stuff. Well, I'm, I've got a lot of experience leading things, totally. just not projects in this realm. And yep. so, yeah, I don't know if that's language that I'm not using properly. Should I be hitting that harder or, you know, I just don't know the answer. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is, is exposure, Right. The more meetings you're on, the more projects you're on, the more people that you know, like what Caleb said earlier, it's just that's how you find find growth. I suppose to take a step backwards, though, and this is where I actually encourage a lot of pastors, like if your job is just to support your ministry habit, a promotion might not even be the best idea for you. Um, Because with every promotion comes more responsibility, (laughs) more work, more, you know, headache more stress and if you're like i'm doing this to pay the bills so i can do what i want to do on sunday and throughout the week then great if you're doing it like i really want to get this job because i want to build myself professionally i guess there's two kind of follow-up questions the first is how's your relationship with your manager a plus a plus and have you sat down with that person and told them your goals um we've had minor discussions about them Uh not necessarily in depth um not necessarily in depth, especially recently, because, you know, goals change and stuff. Of course. Of course. And uh, the second question is, is there a person in your organization who you're like, I want their job one day that you could like shadow or spend, you know, one day a month working with or, just, or even just have a 20 minute coffee with and pick their brain? I hate that phrase, but there it is. Um, so that's a that's an interesting question. I think there's somebody in, a, in my office that I really respect and I would love to do that with. I don't necessarily want their job, right? But um, somebody I would be interested in having that kind of experience with. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know we're in the middle of the year right now. A lot of companies, the end of the year, they you know like an end of the year review with your manager. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can do it at any point, sit down with them and say, "Hey, listen, I'm here right now. I want to get there. Um, my ideas are shadow this person. I really look up to in the company. One day, one day a month." I kind of see what they're doing, um, gain the skills necessary to position myself so that when a, a role 
comes along that really is um, interesting to me, I'm well positioned for it. You know where I stand as my manager. This person who's kind of doing the work that I'm interested in knows where I stand. We have a great relationship. And like those little tweaks could really um, be a huge adjustment. Um, that's kind of what comes top of mind. What about you, Caleb? Anything you would add there? No, I don't think so. I think you've covered most of the things. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? Like, what do you think is like the biggest blocker right now? Beyond what you, you don't have enough experience in the industry. I think that's part of it. Uh, honestly, um, I'm good at my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes when you're good at your job, people don't want you to leave. Right. Um, and so it can be difficult to advance. Not, not that anyone's stopping it. Right. But it's, it might even not be a conscious thing, but it could be like, Hey, if, if that happens, if he's doing that, then he can't do this. And if he's doing that, he could leave. And so you kind of get caught in a loop. hundred percent. I mean, here's, you know, my, my, my free coaching to you is I would have that conversation with your manager find that person to shadow, give it six months. It's, it's May, wait till December. If an, a role arrives that looks interesting, you know, go through the process. And if you're passed over again, at that point, you've been there for three years, it might be time to take that experience and find another company. I mean, not that, you know, that's, that's easier, but here's the thing that happened to me two years ago. I got promoted within my company mm-hmm. and I got a ton more work <laughs> and a very small, dinky, pathetic raise. And I kind of regret getting promoted because <laughs> I was like, wait, my previous job was super cushy <laughs> and I was making pretty much the same amount of money. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what you're motivated by, Matt. If you're motivated by, you know, money or a challenge or title or whatever. But for me, I was like, shoot, that promotion was like a curse, not a blessing. I'm always motivated by money. Well, and I hope while that was a little more specific, um, I'm hoping that the the conversation was general enough that everyone who listens can benefit from it, whether they're in the pastoral role or not, because Eric has, uh, has been doing this for a while now, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. For sure. There's nothing wrong with like itemizing those projects you've done in your, in your past and, and presenting those during the interview process. Like, Hey, I know I don't have skills in this industry, but here's projects I have worked on and here's the teams I led. Here's the budgets I managed. Here's the outcomes that, that came as a result of the work. Here's the timelines we did. Um, that goes a lot farther than we think. Um, and that also shows that you came prepared as well. Uh, maybe you've already done that, but that maybe for, that's just for the person listening. I think one of the biggest things is like not selling yourself short of the things that you've right. done in pastoral ministry, right? Like if you've led a team of 30 volunteers to do something, that's experience managing people. 100%. And they're not even paid. Like, it's a big deal. They're, they're, a lot, they're a lot harder to manage than people that are paid. 100%. And so when you're writing your resume for a secular job, you want to say that you have experience managing a team of 30 plus people because yep. that's what you've done. That's right by managing your greeters or your ushers and your sound technicians and all of those things. That's that's the same thing. That's the same job experience. And when you go into the secular world, you'll find it's exactly the same work managing people there as it is on Sunday morning, except it's easier because the people at the secular job not Christians. Oh. are paid. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish that was a joke. Um. So something else you mentioned, Eric, that I wanted to to pivot on on the co-vocational thing specifically, and now we're going to kind of circle back to the pastor stuff. Uh, you mentioned, um, you know, having your your job, and this is somebody who again has that job to support the ministry habit, and 
then you can take a small salary, a smaller salary from the church. And by taking that smaller salary, you can multiply the money that might actually exist in the church. That's right. Because if you have four people doing that, all of them having a job and each one taking a small salary from the church, now you've got four people instead of one person taking an okay size salary, right? That's right. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like, have you seen that? Um, what does that look like? Yeah, so we do that in in our church. So what we do is I'm the lead pastor, and I receive essentially a housing allowance, um, which in New York City is a lot of money. Um, but you know, it's 24 seven on call job. But I know that my housing allowance is paid for by the church, and that's all I get. I don't get any additional money beyond that. Uh, we have an executive pastor. He gets paid a grand a grand a month. And he is sort of in charge of volunteers. He's in charge of um, set up and tear down. He's, he's, he preaches about once or twice a month. And he is totally capable of doing everything that I do. In fact, when my third daughter is born here in a few weeks, I'll be taking the whole summer off and he'll be filling in. Um, and I could not do what I do without him. So he receives a very part-time salary. And he also works as a bartender where he receives most of his income, but he kind of does the operations aspect of the church. We have a $300 per month kids worker. Um, and she's essentially coordinates the schedules for the volunteers. She runs things on Sunday. Um, she's a tremendous resource. Our church is predominantly young families. And then we have a, a very part-time bookkeeper through um, Ezra VA and she gets paid anywhere between 100 and 150 bucks a month. So just to kind of roll that up, imagine if I was doing all of that and pay myself, you know, five grand a month, um, two things would happen. The first one was I'd be exhausted because I'd be the only person being the church and preaching every single week, yep. making sure the volunteers were on place, making sure the kids workers are all good, doing background checks, doing setup, tear down, doing the operations, doing the budget. You know, it's just, this is where I think a lot of pastors get very burnt out is there they have to be that hyper generalist Mm -hmm. um from the a to z of the church operations so why not like what you said matt split it into four people all of them operating in their gifts and then you know instead of taking a full-time salary you take a part-time salary but you're doing what you feel called to do and what you enjoy doing and then the operation continues that way so that's kind of how we do it at all saints and i've seen other churches do it similarly as well but um, we're also right now in the process of hiring a worship pastor, uh, 500 bucks a month. So that person would have to have an outside job, but then they'd be responsible for the Sunday worship. So that all together is one, one person's salary, um, but broken up into four part-time jobs, it works. Yeah, and it, it, it just gives the church freedom because, it, again, it's you're not relying on one person. That's right. And you can you have people who are professional in attitude. Mm-hmm. because they are getting paid. It might not be a ton of money, but they are getting paid for what they're doing. Exactly. It's not, not there's anything wrong with volunteers. Our church has tons of volunteers, as most churches do. But it's a very different mindset that when, even if you're being paid 75 bucks a week, like it's still your job. Like you're going to show up on time. You're going to be prepared. It's still a job as opposed to us. Uh, I saw one raindrop outside, so I'm going to stay home and not volunteer today. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different mindset shift. Yeah. Anything else, Caleb? You need to go to the website, which is I help pastors get jobs.com. I made it very simple. I help pastors get jobs.com. The free PDF is there. That's 20 pages long. That explains the A to Z on how to uh, get a job, rebrand yourself. And then for those of you who are interested, I started just last week 
a uh, online learning community where pastors can hop on to uh, the Mighty Networks app. We have bi-weekly coaching calls. We have articles on there. We have resume templates, everything you need. And that costs you the, the steep, steep price of $20 a month. So <laughs> pastors hop on it. You get access to all those resources. That's all yours. And um, I'd love to see you there on the digital learning community. So once again, I help pastors get jobs.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Hoke, E-R-I-C-H-O-K-E. Here comes the tweet. Do, 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 do. All right, so G. Thomas says, as churches prepare for VBS, which is Vacation Bible School, for those who don't know, please remember to screen the curriculum for any CRT, which is critical race theory, for those who don't know. Lots of big red flags there, okay? For example, I read one that said, he has filled me, filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's actually really clever. <laughs> Somebody the other day put, they had a, a whole Twitter thread and it was, uh, it was Marx or the Bible. Right. And the, the spoiler alert where they were all the Bible. They're all the Bible. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Somebody, oh man, I don't know if we did this one on the on the show either, Caleb, but it was the one where someone said, um, I don't remember they they quoted something, and he's like, and the the guy he was talking to was like, that's CRT right there. We got to get rid of it. And he's like, nobody, that's John. <laughs> I um, I just, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. The thing that's so funny to me is I still have yet to find a very satisfying answer from an anti CRT person on what. CRT is like I just always would ask you know my angry aunt hey what exactly are you upset about and there's never really an answer oh the uh the French Friday from Holy Post this week this month last month was solid because they talked about that they talked about the freezing of the brand they talked about um which is the thing we talked about a year ago now yeah I mean it's the thing is if you want to know why CRT is all these things the information's out there he the guy put it on Twitter like, it's not as if it's a secret as to what the plan is. It's just that people don't care because... It was a convenient boogeyman. Caleb, what I found interesting from that from that French Friday was that the the Google searches for CRT, when they peaked, they didn't peak until last fall. Yeah. Which, that I didn't realize. I'd have thought they peaked a long time ago, but... It didn't, it didn't really start to become a thing until the summer of 2021. Which just blows my mind, seeing as how 2020 was the, the summer. Yeah, but people weren't people weren't angry about it during then, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, they were like mad that there was like the burning of things. But it wasn't until later that there was the backlash against it. It took months for there to be this, oh no, we didn't do anything wrong. And Eric, one of my favorite things on, uh, on conservative Twitter is... Uh, I should say conservative evangelical Twitter is the uh, the lambasting of Tim Keller as a leftist. Totally, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's just, um, yeah. As as the man, you know, struggles with pancreatic cancer, and you know, right. Maybe he could be on his last few, you know, season of life. It's like let's just run this guy through the mud. Yeah, providing great wisdom to the church still. Through wonderful articles. Yeah, through everything, all the work he does. You know, it's just so funny. I just, do you ever, guys ever feel like people are just bored? 
you're getting that impression. Like, people are just bored. It's like, <laughs> like how do you, how do people have time to just be be mad at someone they never met? <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, I don't I don't have time for the outrage. Yeah. Well, it's also a scary thought. I'm sure that conservative Twitter would you know celebrate Trump's faith, whatever that is. But Tim Keller's a leftist. So explain that one. Explain it to, explain it to me like I'm five. <laughs> So Tim Keller, <laughs> Tim Keller lives in a city where he's around people who are different than him. <laughs> he he said something that made me uncomfortable, and so I will call him a leftist so I can dismiss everything he says that I don't like. Oh, thanks, Kayla. That makes sense. But it doesn't. It's the same thing. We we call people leftists. We call them liberals. We call them woke. Whatever we need to call them, so that we don't have to listen to the critique they have of the things that i'm doing in my life and the same thing happens the other way right like people will like throw out that you're a right-wing extremist or you're alt-right or you're conservative or like people on 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 the other side will also do the same thing and just like totally dismiss what somebody's saying because they disagree with them um because there's this idea that if if we can label something we can dismiss them sure as other label it as other like we can label people as uh, terrorists and then we don't have to give them rights it's the same thing. Just ask President Bush. Yep. <laughs> this hate cuts both ways. Yeah, man. It's the story as old as time, right? Oh. <laughs> if, if not older somehow. Somehow <laughs> older. Yeah, it's so true though, isn't it? Wow. Conservative Twitter. Conservative Christian Twitter. Sounds like a really happy place. Oh, dude. So Caleb, you can cut this out if you want to. I don't care. But Caleb complains because we have there's a barely saved Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And it is specifically curated to find crazy things. Right. So, like, it follows Matt Walsh. Yeah. It follows, like, the worst people. Yeah. So, a few weeks ago, I opened up my phone to go to Twitter to be real quick. And I just got, like, real angry in, like, 20 seconds. Like, this is... Of course. And then I realized I was on the barely saved Twitter and not on my own <laughs> Switch Twitter over to yours real quick <laughs> yeah. to get unangry. <laughs> and then I, I, I tweeted about it. Like, I was so, was so mad. I was like, I was in a good mood. And then I checked Twitter and I got angry. And it was all Matt's fault. <laughs> Matt Van Winkle or Matt Walsh? <laughs> Matt Van Winkle. Because I'm the one that curated it. It's this. <laughs> so I don't know if you've heard. There's a leak. There was a leak. And here's the problem. It rained last week, Caleb. Uh-huh. And my gutters aren't set up properly. And so I'm concerned that the water is going to get in my basement. Okay. So you need to fix that. Right. I, I got to fix the leak. That wasn't the leak I was referring to, though. Oh, wasn't? No, and I wasn't referring to the leak from somebody overflowed the bathtub above me and it dripped into my bathroom. And so they've got to get that fixed. That's that's also not the leak I was referring to. That wasn't the leak. We're referring to the leak that you take at six in the morning when you wake up, you know, being an older man, you know, we really have to go. That leak. That's the one. That's the one. And you're like, oh my gosh, I had it all night. I can't believe I did that. That's, that's the one, Caleb, right? Also not the leak. That's not it either? Man, <laughs> there's some swings and misses. <laughs> yes, someone leaked the draft. The first draft. Of a majority opinion. The first draft of a majority opinion of the Supreme Court on the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Yeah. So Justice Samuel Alito mm-hmm. wrote a 98-page opinion. Listen. SCOTUS needs to calm it down with these 98-page opinions. Go ahead. First off, 67 pages. 
And then the appendixes. And then the appendix and the the appendices, sir. That's how we pluralize it. I'm I'm aware of how you pluralize it, but I wanted to say appendixes because it's like the body part and we were talking about leaks earlier. If your appendix has a leak, you've really got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you need emergency surgery. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's actually it's not that long of a ruling um relative to other rulings. Except it's not a ruling. Yet. And this is the thing that I think everyone's like up in arms about. They did they did their preliminary vote, and then uh, Justice Alito was chosen to to write the majority opinion based on the preliminary vote. It is not the actual opinion of the court yet, right? And in dear God, I hope the opinion of the court as written will be edited. Oh, I hope so because there's definitely some typos in there, and it needs to be it needs to be more narrow than it is currently. I've heard some people talking about that. Um. Like part of part of the decision of Roe v. Wade was the right to privacy. It's the under talked about position part of Roe v. Wade. Uh, that was the basis of the ruling of Roe v. Wade was the right to privacy. So because of the because of the ruling of of right on right to privacy of Roe v. Wade, anything if Roe v. Wade is struck down, anything that is based on a right to privacy that then quotes the Roe v. Wade case in any way is also in jeopardy. Depending on the language that they use to strike it down. Right. And that's why that's why it's something that you have you gotta take your scalpel and make sure you just cut out the appendix and not the entire lower intestine. Right. But I mean, so I've read the opinion, you know, all sixty seven pages, uh, because I did not look through the appendices. And I don't think that the opinion like people have said that that's what will happen. But I don't think that any court is going to take what was written here, even if this was a piece. I don't think they're going to say that this eliminates the right to privacy. I I don't think so. They more or less dismiss that as a, a good reason to uphold the right to abortion. They say that that's not a valid concern. I think that's Alito's point. And I, I understand that that's how it's written. But I also think that it can't just be a ne- you can't just write a negative here you can't just write that that's that you also have to i think that the people saying that this is going to like eliminate the right to privacy i think that's also fear mongering on the other side sure absolutely but i think that at the same time if you're going to make a negative argument that this isn't that mm-hmm. we need to fully in in the actual decision the court needs to say we fully endorse the right to privacy. We just don't think this is that. And it needs to be very clearly stated so that no matter what happens in jurisprudence later, that is a a precedent. Sure. Okay. Any other comments on the ruling? Because I have I have another place to go with this. The the non-ruling? The non-ruling ruling. The non-ruling part of this? Okay, let's hear it. I mean, I have thoughts on the non-ruling part of it, but... It is a leaked opinion that is not a ruling yet. And and Chief Justice Roberts has said, we're going to figure out who leaked this. I mean, I think that they do. They need to figure out who leaked this. They have to, right? Yeah, I think that's that's honestly the bigger thing. Because nobody who watches the court is surprised that the court is going to get rid of Roe v. Wade. Like that was coming. We we knew that was coming when they took this case. That was the expected thing. Yeah, I think it was expected. I don't know if it was a sure thing, but I think it was expected. Right. Like, but everybody expected that. So when the decision comes in June, that wasn't going to be a surprise. I think something some people are surprised about is that in 
in the the initial vote, Roberts was undecided. But if you've watched the court for long enough, you know that that shouldn't have been a shock either. It's also not a shock. That this was always going to be a 5-4 decision. And Roberts was going to make sure it was because that's the kind of jurist he is. Yeah, he wants it to be narrow because it's so consequential. Yep. Also, did you see the, speaking of SCOTUS, did you see the, the ruling from the Christian flag case? <laughs> Unanimous, 9-0. In support of religious freedom. Always 9-0 in support of religious freedom. This is the thing, and uh, David French talked about it the other day. He's like, the cannon shots coming at religious freedom from the outside, like this case. This case doesn't make it to the Supreme Court if it's not an actual thing, right? Mm-hmm. They, the, fi- the shots are coming. But the Supreme Court has consistently ruled on the side of religious freedom. And so just because the cannon shots are coming does not mean that the wall is not incredibly solid. Sorry, that, that's a little non sequitur, but it's there. I have my thoughts on the ruling itself, but I don't I don't really care to give my opinions on an opinion that isn't yet an opinion. An opinion? Like, I can sit here and I can discuss the language around the right to privacy and all of those things, but hell if we even know what the language is going to be. We don't have a damn clue. We don't even know if this is the current edition. We're almost certain it's not. This is from February 10th. We got three months. There's no way in three months they haven't written a single revision, right? Especially since, again, I noticed like actual typos, things that are like just need to be fixed. They're going to fix those. You know, we need to get them. Grammarly. Justice is neat. Grammarly. There you go. I agree. But the the bigger thing is that this was leaked um, and that both sides are blaming the other side for leaking it. Yeah, it seems really weird. And like this, there's reasons to blame the other side to do it, right? Like the the people who are pro-abortion are saying uh, that this was leaked by the other side so that way they can't back out and change their minds about it. Um, and then the people that are anti-abortion are saying basically this was leaked. Like, it's just stupid. It's leaked for some political purpose that we don't know, obviously. Whether it's to pressure people into changing or to not changing. There's some reason that some clerk sent this to Politico. Now, I also think that, Caleb, part of this, because it's not the opinion, it gives us as people of the church a chance to consider these things before we start running our mouth. Like Eric said earlier, he's not on Twitter today. Not that he'd be running his mouth about this, but you, you get the idea. Yeah, this is not really my uh, my stream of my Twitter feed, no. It's not your lane. It's not my lane, no. <laughs> it's real easy to get out there and say stuff, right? Sure. Especially in public. But I'd like to point out a couple things that maybe our podcast listeners don't know, but I think they're important. So, according to a 2017 study by the Guttmacher Institute, it's got to be Guttmacher, right? Yeah, the the abortion people. Nearly one in four women will have an abortion by age 45. So 23.7%. Yes. Okay. Which is like lower than it used to be. Yes. And then also, if we tie that to this Lifeway research, seven in 10 women who have had an abortion identify as Christian according to a 2015 study. The article was released in 2021. Yes. That means that it's almost guaranteed that someone you know who identifies as Christian has had an abortion. Yes, you're actually more likely to have an abortion if you identify as Christian than as non-Christian. Yeah, so pastors, church leaders, random Christians. If you're out here running your mouth about stuff, there are people listening to you. And the chances are someone you know has had an abortion. Yep. And you're saying this about them whether you know it or not, and they can see you saying it about them. Mm -hmm. So it's probably a wise decision 
to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents in this moment? I think that's always good advice, Matt. Well, I would like to double down on it right now, Caleb. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Matt. Like, it's just, it seems like we're in a place where it's it's really easy to come out and say, look, this is the right thing or this is the wrong. It, it doesn't matter what your political or personal opinion is. It's really easy to have a strong opinion on this and put your stake in the ground and be really happy or really mad about this decision. And I, I think you can have your personal feelings. But at some point, if you are a thought leader, your opinions do not get to just get broadcasted on the Internet whether or not you think they should be. Mm, President Trump taught me that we can just retweet things and it has no consequence. No consequence? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he was just retweeting. Truth social <laughs> seems to indicate otherwise. Yeah, January 6th would indicate otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not the only... This isn't the only place it's happening. Um, sure. But I think it's a really key time for us to... Maybe just be empathetic and just listen. Yeah. And also maybe stop pressuring women into having abortions because Christians for years have done that by, you know, talking about how bad it is to have unplanned pregnancies and kids outside of wedlock. And like, we're constantly saying these things. And we also readily have had a solution in society, which is get an abortion and don't tell anybody. And so the church has been stoking abortions while they've been saying that they're trying to fight it which is just really weird and there's one of those things that this lifeway research shows us is it's christians who have been getting the abortions that the christians are trying to ban also it's time for paid parental leave in america thank you have a good day yes should be should be part of the unemployment system we should do the canada thing and you know let's just talk with the elephant in the room we're three dudes we can't get pregnant what <laughs> Uh, th- again, I have seen that documentary <laughs> with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Dana DeVito. Exactly. Yeah, but Eric, what you're missing is that we're talking about scripture. And so because we're men, we're the only ones able to talk about it. Right. Exactly. And also, I, te- I t- was t- texting my friend this morning. He's also a pastor. I said, listen, dude, not to make light a very serious topic is a very serious topic. But if men could get pregnant... There'd be abortion clinics and gas stations. Like you just walk in and get it done while you pick right. up your soda yeah. and pump your yeah. gas. I mean, for sure. hundred percent. It'd be, it'd be so accessible. It'd be every, it'd be everywhere. It'd be convenient. There'd be no taboo around it. If I, I'll go a step further. If men were required to be the primary caregivers for a child after it was re- born, you'd see the same thing. Yep. Yep. That's right. I think they should be personally, but you know, I know someone the other day was like, Talking about how if if that happens, then men should be required to pay child support before the child's born, and um, yeah, the the child should have healthcare coverage before the child's born. Because if it's a person, it should have that. Yep. It should have life insurance before the child's born. I'm like, I, I think that you're trying to make a point that someone disagrees with, but I agree with all of those things. <laughs> like, yeah, that seems like a good thing to do. Oh, people these days. Yeah, like like child support before birth, if you know who the father is, like that should be a thing. Absolutely. Prenatal vitamins aren't cheap. Nope, and all those appointments, exams, checkups. Right, that child should be able to be on your health insurance if, if you're not wed to that person. And that child should be able to get all the care that you get. Like, that shouldn't be difficult in this country. 
Mm, but health insurance will always be difficult in this country. I'm aware. Well, Eric, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun, guys. I appreciate you having me on. I have something to tell you after we get off the air, but I'm not going to say it while we're still recording. Thanks for listening to the Barely Save podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes, and merch at barelysavepodcast.com. Do you have anything else you want to say while we're recording? Besides, you know, this isn't a ruling yet, and we will talk about this again when it is. <sighs> Great. In what, two months? Because we can't talk about the specifics of language yet, Matt. It's like two months, right? Yeah, usually June or July. Yeah. It'll probably be released in June because it was heard early in the court cycle.